What's up, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of the Dorkside Nexus podcast. My name is Corey, and next to me is my co-host, Tanner. Say hi, Tanner. What's up, everybody? And we're just kind of getting started uh, on the whole podcasting thing, and we're hoping to bring a little bit of what we love about all of the fandoms that we have taken part in since childhood. So if you love Star Wars, Marvel, Avatar The Last Airbender, DC, or Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, odds are we're going to talk about it here on this podcast, because they're all things we grew up with and we hold near and dear to our hearts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we figured we'll uh, we'll get started and we'll just tell you a little bit about each of us and how we came into our nerddoms and uh, what you're going to get in this channel. So Corey, what was the first fandom and that you f- fell into and why did you fall into it? Honestly, it was more than likely Star Wars. It was always on when I was a kid. Dad would play it. Mom would have it on. And uh, growing up in Vermont in the snow, I would just always see The Empire Strikes Back, and I would think like, oh my god, I'm going to go outside and I'm going to be in Hoth, I'm going to play with the lightsaber, save the rebellion. And uh, ever since my parents showed me as a kid, it's just been Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. And, you know, Corey, it's very similar for me, too. Star Wars was definitely the first fandom that I fell in love with. I didn't fall in in love with it because of the original trilogy. Um, my dad actually took me to see Phantom Menace when I was four years old in theaters, and that was my first intro. Now, granted, we all know Phantom Menace has its flaws, and but it still made me fall in love with the, the space wizards with laser swords. I mean, for me, that's always been it. And, like, not to get too personal, but for me, when my parents separated, it was always my safe haven with Star Wars. Uh, I've Fell in love with the movies. By far, my favorite is Revenge of the Sith. Hate me if Amen. you will. Hate Amen. me if you will. But I, it's still my favorite to this day. Um, not only the movies, though, but definitely some of the video games. The first role-playing games I ever played were the Knights of the Old Republic games. I, I have hours upon hours, and I just felt I got sucked into the lore there. Oh yeah, no, I couldn't agree more on the games. That was definitely a huge part of my fandom as a kid. Uh, I played the Lego Star Wars 2, the original trilogy, mm-hmm. to the point where my parents absolutely hated it. Uh, that's actually where I learned most of the names of the characters, like Boba Fett and Bosk and all of the obscure background characters. And you just play enough until you collect them, and all of a sudden you know who Forlom is, or Zuckus, and all... That background stuff. Um, yeah, no, I, I I totally relate to that. See, we're both from that generation that that Phantom Menace and the prequels were pretty much made for. It, you know, Jar Jar was specifically targeted at us. Oh, God, don't even bring that up. I mean, he's comic relief, but comic relief done poorly. It, could you have written a better Jar Jar Binks? Absolutely. But being the, what was it, 99, so I was about maybe four or five years old, five years old, Jar Jar, Jar Jar hit. My mom worked at a grocery store and she got one of the uh, Frito-Lay's Jar Jar standees that was about life size. And that thing sat in my room creeping me out for years. I loved it and hated it in the dark. Well, that, yeah, I mean, I would, that would be terrifying in the dark. Um, but going beyond Star Wars, I, 
I had a very high affinity to like the old DC comic shows that used to be on TV, like Batman, the animated series, Batman Beyond, Batman Beyond, Beyond, Justice League. You know, those shows, I loved being able to watch those. And my dad actually was kind of a comic book nerd, but, uh, never really got me into it. So he would always put those on because he loved those heroes too. Um, but Batman the Animated Series by far would have been my favorite one of them. I do remember always wanting to catch Justice League, but for some reason I would always fall asleep before it came on <laughs> at night. Um, yeah, so – and obviously I was never a big Marvel fan because it wasn't what my dad introduced me to. Um, but then the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, Ramini Raimi, shoot, uh, crucify me for pronouncing that wrong, guys. <laughs> but, um, the, the, that Spider-Man trilogy, that was like the first Marvel character that I was exposed to. And then we saw 2008 with Iron Man come out and just the boom of that. I mean, I absolutely love the Marvel Universe. In fact, recently as an adult, comic collecting has been my new thing. So I can actually learn more about these characters. And I mean, very recently, like within the last couple months. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a bit of my background on that. That's, that's what I've always loved about these uh, movie franchises based on comics is you get invested in them through the movies and through the shows. And then all of a sudden you find out there's an entire back catalog of stories with these characters and, and and all these situations that you can just dive right into. And then much like with WandaVision, you can go into it without having all of that information. But then the more you know, the more you walk in excited for and expecting. Oh, exactly. But other than our background on what makes us tick as nerds or dorks or whatever you want to call us geeks for whatever it is. Yeah. Corey and I actually have a really funny story about how we met. Um, he was actually working in a grocery store just up down the road from my house. And I used to go in all the time and I always admired his merch. He on his registers, he'd always have like a tie fighter X wing or a star destroyer taped to his register. And I just remember compliment commenting on it. And noticing his, he was always, every time I went in, it seemed to be the Flash shirt, which was on. And we just started talking about all of our different thoughts uh, on all the fandoms. And that's how our friendship started. I mean, how many times would I stop in at the store and we'd just talk for hours as you were working and I'd just back out of the way so people could go through? There were quite a few times. And honestly, as a cashier in the middle of nowhere... Having someone who speaks the same nerdy language as me is a very rare thing. So it, it was always super nice to have that moment of like, oh, my God, finally, someone who I can talk Star Wars and Marvel and, and all of that stuff with. Yeah, because I was in high school. I was kind of a jock. I didn't have and it wasn't. Yeah, there were people that talked about it in my friend group and loved it, but we didn't talk about it like I, you and I do now. Like that was always wild to me. Like how, as an adult, I'm like just completely like went back to my childhood and like, no, nope, I'm going to embrace this. This is who I am. I am all about being a nerd. Oh, when you do what you love for so long, eventually it's like, why, why would I not try and find a way to incorporate it in, into my everyday? Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, some of the other stuff that Corey and I are big fans of are, for example, Harry Potter and the whole Avatar The Last Airbender universe. 
Tanner, you're a, you're a huge Harry Potter fan, right? You've done the books and the movies. I and- did the books as a kid, and as they were coming out, I haven't. I've just recently started rereading the books. What would be for my second time? Obviously, I've seen the movies numerous times, um, but my my partner is she's actually more of a she's a very big Harry Potter fan and. I make mistakes all the time talking with her and you should see the, the, the conversations <laughs> we have. Like, are you kidding me? You don't remember that? You, you're you thinking about the movie, not the book. And, you know, I read the books once and I, like I said, I'm just now got to Order of the Phoenix on, a, on my second reread in my life. My second read. Hey. But yeah. this guy over here still hasn't seen Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Him. And I'm telling him, even though the second one has some plot holes, like lore holes that happen, it's still a great series because I think Eddie Redmayne as Newt's Commander you would love. I'm I'm a little slow to it, but I've heard most people tell me that they're absolutely worth the watch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think without further ado, guys, let's get down to it. You heard a little bit about us, so let's talk some WandaVision. Oh, WandaVision. That what an exciting show! I don't even know where to begin on this. Um, uh, honestly, don't know where to begin on this. I mean, let's just talk about you know we started off with the Dick Van Dyke show, but with Vision and Wanda Maximoff in the fifties. I mean, you we knew that was going to happen in the when they talked about it, but at the same time to see it executed, and then we progressed through the TV decades throughout the show. I thought it was phenomenal. I loved watching that. And I love a lot of shows. You get that kind of like broken feeling from episode to episode because they switch directors and, and, and they don't have one entire vision. WandaVision works so well because you can tell from the first episode to the last, there was a through line. It's all about Wanda and, 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 and grief and dealing with, she lost everybody, everybody. And she grew up. Now, this may be a little bit topical, but uh, if you're listening to this around the release time, we've just gone through the whole thing with COVID. We've gone through the quarantines, and the world's been a crazy place. And you see an uptake in people are watching television. People are gathering around with their families, or if they're not able to, they're talking with their families about shows they've seen. And that's very similar to what's going on in WandaVision. She's watched TV her entire life and then processes everything through television i mean it was the perfect show to sum up quarantine for a lot of people i mean we in episode seven we see the we seven or eight i'm already drawing a blank where we where agatha takes her back Uh, i think that's the eighth episode i think we could be wrong we just watched it and it's still a blur at times but where where agnes takes her back she just when vision phases into the room she's just sitting there watching tv at, at the uh, Avengers complex. Like we all relate to that right now. A hundred percent trying to watch the news, see what's going on, watching something to distract yourself. It's just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> episode two jumped into, what was it? The, the sixties. Yeah. So we had television. the bewitched kind of feel to that, which, and I, I love how they did it so true to, that era of television. Like, you know, nowadays they have all of the editing powers and all of the special effects to make it, you know, completely 
realistic, but they still chose to make all of the effects look old school. Yeah, let's take let's talk about the subtlety about even from going episode one to episode two, you have the subtlety of watching the black and gray, the black and white televisions get the camera become more clear. Like if you watch Hmm. the first episode, it's very almost grainy by comparison to the second episode's black and white. So just that little bit of like, of just those details that they hit in that show. I mean, that's amazing to me. And it's comical in the first two episodes because that's the feel they're going for. And then we get to the third episode and all of a sudden it turns into the Brady Bunch essentially. And and the third episode is where it really started to take off for me. Oh yeah. I mean, watching Wanda envision and the whole hysterical nonsense that occurs because of her pregnancy is just absolutely amazing. We've always wondered how they would make the house of M comics and the WandaVision comics a thing. And they brought it to the, to to the streaming services so well. What was your favorite episode of that series, Corey? That's a pretty tough question. I, I, a lot of people talk about how the finale was rather underwhelming. I completely disagree with that. I think it did exactly what the show set out to do. It told the story of Wanda dealing with everything that she needed to deal with to move on. Does she deal with it in the most healthy way? I don't know if creating your own reality is the healthy way, but again, in the comics, Wanda has done that. She, to deal with her trauma, she creates her own reality and she and gave herself children. I mean, it was straight out of the comics. It's not healthy. But how many times do you see, for example, Doctor Strange and Wanda interacting and you can just tell her just her power is overwhelming and the, her potential. She's destroyed the universe several times, a couple times in the comics. And again, this is coming from somebody that just started to get into the comics. But I do know a bit of the backstory. The, the internet is a wonderful place for finding out some of that information. I think for me, Corey, my favorite episode is definitely where Agatha takes us back and you see how Wanda was a witch from birth and that the mind stone in the scepter just amplified her power. That I did not see coming. I didn't see it coming. I truly didn't. Um, I thought for sure, like everyone else, we were either going to get Mephisto or the X-Men or all that stuff. But it never came to fruition. Just and that shows you how much uh, thought they put into the show, into Marvel Studios put into the show. You know they're sitting there laughing at all of us as fans because they're watching our internet theories just pop up constantly, and you're like, "You guys are wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong." Because I didn't see it coming that she w- that they were going to follow the the arc of her being a witch and at birth. I did not see that coming. I thought for sure it was going to be somehow. X-Men related where she was the daughter of Magneto. I love how much they play into the whole magic thing. And, uh, you see, especially when they go back and they tell Agatha's story, the whole thing with the coven and, and legit witch lore, which my lady is super into all of that witch stuff. So, uh, I'm actually taking her into WandaVision. I think tonight we're going to start it. So. Oh yeah. I just restarted it with a friend who hadn't watched it yet. And, I was over at his place and I, we got through the third episode and I'm, and I just kept telling him cause he's staring at it as not a diehard fan, but thoroughly enjoys 
the MCU and, and the Star Wars movies. And I have to keep telling him, it gets a lot better. The series is one that progresses. It starts off very slow and you're just questioning everything. But man, by the time you get to episode four, when you see like the real ramifications of the blip, instead oh, of... Oh, by the way, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen WandaVision yet. <laughs> I figured it's... you figured. <laughs> um, yeah, when you see the ramifications of the blip in that episode... It puts a whole different perspective on it. When we watched it was Far From Home, it was comical. You were, there was a scene of them in the gymnasium and just chilling and all of a sudden the band just comes back into play. You're like, what in God's green earth is that? Is happening. Uh, Monica coming back. I mean, what else are, in her being in the hospital where she last saw her mother Maria and finding out that her mother's dead? been dead for three years. Can you imagine the mental screws that just popped out of her skull? We don't get to see like her true reaction and how she deals with it, but damn, you saw the chaos in that hospital. I could only imagine <laughs> uh, fading away in one moment and coming back, not only having to deal with the knowledge that I just disappeared for a certain amount of time and came back, but then five years had passed. It all happened because some purple alien stole a bunch of shiny rocks throughout the galaxy. And then decided to snap his fingers. <laughs> and then that rich guy who started to become a superhero flying around in a suit of metal sacrificed himself to bring me back. That in and of itself would be absolutely mind-bottling. And then throw in the fact that my mother, who I was right next to before she passed away, passed away without me even there. You know, so much in episode four locked me in to like, okay, episode one, two, and three, they were pretty good. They're, they opened the mystery box. And then four goes, okay, this is a Marvel show. Don't forget. There are tons of oh, strings. Absolutely. Uh, can we get a shout out for Jimmy Woo? Jimmy Woo. Oh my God. Did anyone think that they would see him again? I figured he would pop up, but I didn't expect him to be as big a part of the show as he was. Not even Jimmy Woo. Let's give it up for Darcy. Who I I wrote her off after Thor: The Dark World. Honestly, I I had heard rumors that she was going to be in the show, but I'm like, to what capacity? Probably a little cameo. She had a pretty good, pretty good, sizable part. Not in the finale, but absolutely. I'm. It's to take someone that was a character that I personally viewed as kind of like a beak side character that wasn't super important to the overarching story that was being built, and put her into the heart of this show and be the person to figure out what's happening. That's awesome. That shows you how deep the, the threads of Kevin Feige run and his team of just like, we're going to take this person that they thought was completely done. And we're going to put him in a big, big role. And it's insane. He's a sweaty nerd. Like the rest of us. It's a nice way of, they have this amazing mixing pot of different characters and stories and, 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 and actors that they can just, Go, hey, wait a minute, we have a story over here and we have a character that, that, that has an archetype. Who do we have in the pantheon of actors throughout what, 10 years, 11 years of Marvel films? Almost, yeah. I mean, Infinity War is the 10 year mark. So we're at thir 12, 13 years. Yeah. That, that's a lot of actors and actresses to be able to be like, hey, 
we're telling a story further down the line. You're already in this universe. Come back for a little bit. Get a little bit of fanfare. Give a little bit more um, depth to not only this story, but now going back and watching Thor The Dark World and the first Thor, I'm like, oh yeah, Darcy's actually learning about all of this, like, spectrometer, like, space She goes from being the goofy sidekick that in the first Thor movie that has no business really being there as more anything more than comic relief to being an integral part of the story in WandaVision and setting up the next phase of the Marvel universe. It it's insane. Can we also take a moment to talk about how we went an entire year without a Marvel release through this quarantine and they dropped the bomb, the, the amazing series of WandaVision, which I kind of like them dropping WandaVision next because they were going to release Black Widow, which I cannot wait to see. I've been waiting for that film for so long. You're more excited about that than I am. Let's let's be real. I I understand why we need this, why we should have the story, and why people want it. But I loved Romanoff's story that we got. I really did. The mystery behind her was always part of the appeal. We don't know her true backstory. We just know that she was an elite spy and a total, total badass. And I think her ending was a great conclusion. So for me, I'm not as excited about Black Widow. Will I watch it? Absolutely. I will be in theaters to watch it when they release that. But again, I'm not super Super excited like I was about Endgame, Infinity War, Ragnarok, any of those movies. Just my personal opinion. I, Like I said, I feel her story was very well done. So I don't know what they can add to it. I hope it's amazing what they add to it. But I do feel that that story was perfect the way it was. It's one of the hard things, I suppose, especially for Kevin Feige and all of them, to tell a story, to complete a character's arc, and then to go back and try and insert things into the arc. It's one thing I noticed, um, especially with Endgame and Infinity War. After you've seen WandaVision, it, it gives an entire chain. All of WandaVision, once you've finished it, goes back to Avengers Age of Ultron. I will never be able to watch that film again without thinking of, like, little child Wanda and Pietro oh my hiding God. under the bed watching freaking Dick Van Dyke with a missile right across the room. Yeah. That, it. I personally felt that Ultron was the weakest of the Avengers movies. hmm And I didn't think it was a bad movie at all. I thought it was a great movie when it came it's out. And quite it's enjoyable. Fun. It's fun. We get Cap shouting language. <laughs> And Tony going, then is no one's going to mention that Cap just said language? You get some great moments. You get the whole scene at uh, Avengers Tower trying to lift the hammer after they've had a big party there. That party scene is one of my favorite things in the MCU. Absolutely. But you go back and watch that movie now, and there's so much added depth to everything. It, I feel like Marvel Studios knew they needed to add to that one property. I and that's what I feel they did with Darcy, too, because she was in Dark World. I feel like they were trying to add to that property, which, I'm sorry, you can't really redeem the Dark World in my eyes. It's the most boring movie of the lot, in my opinion. I would say out of all of all 
what, three phases we've had in completion so far? Mm-hmm. Is WandaVision technically the start of phase four? I feel like it's, yeah, it's that, it's not, it's the start of it, but to me it feels like the footnote in the chapter to, to start it. Do you know what I mean? As much, yeah, as much as like, Far From Home was kind of like the epilogue of, you know, the whole Infinity Saga. It feels like WandaVision is kind of like the, the prologue to into... The, the next saga that we're going to get, which, uh, who's going to be the big bad? I think it's going to be Cathan because we now have her at, uh, as Scarlet Witch. Wanda Maximoff is officially the Scarlet Witch. We have Chaos Magic and we have the Darkhold. So I feel like they're setting up Cathan as the next big bad. I've heard rumors, and of course, what we've learned from WandaVision is you can't always take rumors without a grain of salt. Yeah, Paul Bettany trolling us for nine weeks about an actor he's always wanted to work with in the f- season finale, and it's himself. Of course, who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't want to work? We had a nine-week troll session. That it, that needs to go down as one of the greatest trolls of all time. What did he say? It was a Luke Skywalker-level cameo or something like that's that? What, that's what Elizabeth Olsen said, but... <laughs> I feel like that was for seeing Evan Peters playing the fake Pietro, also known as Ralph Boner. <laughs> Boner. <laughs> there's there's your little adult humor needed for the show. I love that. And it leaves it open enough where – and this is going to be a bit of a divergence. But in the DC universe, they're already playing around with the idea of the multiverse. Because Marvel, you know they're headed into the multiverse. They've basically flat out told you. DC's kind of done that in their television shows with a crisis, and they have <laughs> spoiler for Crisis on Infinite me, Earths. They've had um, the Flash of the television universe, Grant Gustin, interact with the Flash of the Justice League universe, Ezra Miller. So they have the concept of, hey, just because these guys are both Barry Allen doesn't mean they have to look the same. Absolutely. And very much introducing, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, Evan Peters as uh Pietro just because he's not the real Pietro doesn't mean that somewhere down the line they can't go you know hey look he's already here dimensions yeah. Wanda can do anything playing with reality well we also have to remember in Marvel comics we are earth 616 so there are 16 615 other earths ahead of us throughout the different dimensions so we have no idea how what they're going to do. Everyone speculated that we were going to get the X-Men based on it, which, f- fair, I thought we were going to get this, this X-Men. I truly thought we were setting up that the Hex was going to expand and then s- kickstart the X-Gene that was hidden away. That's where I thought it was going, 100%. But, but we didn't get that, which I am not disappointed by. If anything, it shows that they're going to take their time and care introducing the X-Men into this universe. They've said for sure that mutants are coming. It's just a matter of when, where, and how. And I think that's going to definitely come into play, Multiverse of Madness. We've already got rumors of the Spider-Man, uh, what was it? No Way Home? Yep. Spider-Man No Way Home is rumored to have at least Tobey Maguire, maybe Andrew Garfield, from different universes. I mean... We're jumping right in. And what I actually liked about WandaVision was the bit where Agatha says, you have more power than the Sorcerer Supreme. I love that. I loved that line. It it ties directly in with the comics about how powerful Scarlet Witch is. It also ties us into Sam Raimi's 
Multiverse of Madness. And we've all, all heard the rumors about how Wanda Maximoff will appear in that, in those, in that movie. A hundred percent confirmed. She's the villain of that film, isn't she? How do we know that? It, she's never really been a true villain. She's she, always been kind of an anti-hero that, in the sense of, she's morally ambiguous. ambiguous. That's what I kind of like about the idea is, if there's anything I've learned from loving all of this stuff is that the best villains are usually the ones with somewhat heroic intentions. It's just they're skewed. Their 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 viewpoints are always skewed. Like Thanos, at the end of the day, his goal was to bring a prosperous, balanced life. The only problem was it involved out wiping out half of the universe. Yeah, not a great plan. <laughs> Absolutely, he I, believed his, he was the hero. He he truly believed he was the hero, and it will be very interesting to see how that progresses with Wanda um, to save her children. That she believed were real, if she believes they're out there in the multiverse, I think she may be willing to do some straight-up villainous stuff. And then it'll only take the Vision, which, white Vision, can we talk about that whole Vision and the Ship of Theseus thing? Oh, the Ship of Theseus. You may call it anticlimactic, if you will, to our listeners out there, but it was so beautiful because we have to remember that the Vision is a supercomputer. He is Jarvis. His boss battle is a battle of the minds, yeah. not a fist fight. No, he is Tony Stark's Jarvis. And that, so he looks at everything in a very logical way and has an explanation to everything. That is his personality as a computer. It's watching how the vision that Wanda created in Westview just gave back the memories to White Vision. And he flew away to go find basically what – To find what, himself, yeah, basically. to find himself. We will see him again. 100%. 100%. Let's just talk about how Paul Bettany, a, a, an actor that I was introduced to as the naked man in A Knight's Tale. A Knight's Tale, absolutely. It, it just became this household name because of his character. It's very funny because I was reading interview, interview clips and stuff like that. Of how he thought his career was over after someone told him straight up, like his agent told him his career was over, and this was just before Ultron. Uh, He like I remember just sitting there and being like, "Oh, okay, I guess it's over." And then I get the call from Marvel: "The how would you like to be the Vision?" I mean, does it get better than that? You want to be the body of Jarvis? Sure, yeah. Put me in a Marvel film. I mean, around what, 2014, they had dropped Captain America 2, Guardians of the Galaxy. They were riding high. Oh, yeah. And I remember watching Ultron the first time and seeing him pop up going, oh, my God, I am so stoked for this. When (laughs) there's the scene where he picks up the hammer and everybody's just kind of gawking at him like, did you just lift Mjolnir? We we all tried to do that earlier and Steve only made it wiggle. I remember being in the theater with two of my other friends and my jaw was just agape. Like, (laughs) what? Oh my god. Did he... Did he just pick that up? (laughs) I mean... Not as big a reaction as when Steve wields it in Endgame, but I mean, that moment was, was amazing. And... I would absolutely take the Vision versus White Vision fight over the Black Panther versus Killmonger fight any day. Um, I don't know if I can agree with that. 
I think that they're, they're very, they serve a purpose, each of them. One was a power struggle to be the true king of Wakanda. And the other one was simply a battle of reason and will, if you really think about it. So they serve two very different purposes. It was basically someone at war with himself. Yeah. But we digress. Let's go. Let's just talk about the post credit scenes of that show. Oh my gosh. Which one? Let's go with the first one of Monica being pulled into the theater and saying that a friend of yours wants to meet with you and now, pointing up high. Is that Nick Fury? Do we all agree that's Nick Fury? I think that's Nick that's Fury. That's up there. We, last time we saw Nick Fury, he was in space on a scroll ship. And that, we know that Nick Fury has met little Monica back in the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, of course, I think it's Nick Fury. And the fact that Monica is becoming Photon, I love it. She is a very well-written character in the movie, and in the TV show. And she is confirmed to be coming in Captain Marvel, too, which, which is, is going to be awesome. Very I awesome. love the way they wrote her character. She's very relatable, I feel. It, it's also... It feels like the first time we've seen an origin story in a Marvel film in quite a, true, a while, right? A, yeah, a true origin story, like, I feel. Vision we got. I mean, kinda. I, I feel like the last one we got was... They skip over Peter Parker. I mean, yeah, they're basically, get, if you don't know by now, get out like of the, the theater. I feel like the last origin story we got was Ant-Man. The last true, yet brand new hero? And I could be wrong. But that's what I remember. Ant-Man. Well, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. I, Doctor I, Strange they, was a new one. but They came out so close to each other, it's very hard for me to yeah. differentiate what time, which came out first. I do not remember, guys. I am human. I apologize. Oh. And that, that, that's the thing that uh, a lot of people think with being a comic book fan, being a Star Wars fan, being any kind of like fandom thing is that you have to know every single thing that's happened in the history of this. Oh, you don't. No, if you love a thing, love a thing. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't love it as much as somebody else. And don't let anybody think that you're a lesser fan because you can't exactly tell what planet Star-Lord was born on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Earth. It was Earth. But what I'm excited for is by the end of the week, we will have Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's the one I was – WandaVision, I was pretty excited to see what they did. Falcon and Winter Soldier is the one I'm sitting here with bated breath waiting for. So now, Corey and I briefly talked about – I told Corey what I felt like the purpose of that show will be. For me, I feel uh, that show will be the real-world ramifications of the blip. We saw in Spider-Man, it was kind of the epilogue, and we got the comedy side to it. We briefly see in WandaVision the chaos that it creates. Horrifying. And But those two movies serve the purpose of Peter Parker finding his way on his own as the hero he's meant to be, and Wanda dealing with her personal trauma from from losing everything she loved. So we don't really see the true real-world ramifications yet. I feel like that show will be serving that purpose. As Yes, as much as like Captain America 2 and Captain America 3 got to explore kind of the political fallout from the Avengers movies, like primarily Sokovia and uh, the Helicarriers and how much power S.H.I.E.L.D. had after the first Avengers, 
it very much stands to reason that Falcon and Winter Soldier will kind of handle the political climate of the post-blip MCU world. We know we're going to get Hector Zemo back. Did he get blipped and come back? And when he came back, they forgot about him, and now he's on the run, create, running a criminal organization. Are there going to be other criminal organizations that popped up? Are there? What's going to happen? These are all questions that I have, Corey. I'm super excited to figure out what the answers to them are, Tanner, honestly. Uh, the, the, just watching that trailer of Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan interacting as the characters, it, I can't wait for it because those two characters were really fun in both, in their respective roles. Granted, Bucky's character is very serious for the majority of the time, but when he's Steve's friend all the way back in Captain America, the first Avenger, it's a fun, lighthearted friendship that then they absolutely care about each other. Uh, and Uh, Falcon, he just respected the shit out of Cap and earned Cap's respect along the way and became very close friends on your left, for God's sake. That is, one of my favorite moments in cinematic history. When they, when he comes through in the portals. Yeah. That, the setup and then the payoff. That's when you know the Russo brothers were like, we, we have to make sure to throw this little nod in there. So I feel like there's going to be a lot to look forward to in that. I feel we will see so much of what's going on in the real world after the events of Endgame. I'm very curious to see because Sam's character has entirely been directed by, uh, by the Russo brothers. Both Sam and Bucky have been directed by the Russos in pretty much every form except for Captain America, the first one, and Ant-Man. Yeah, it'll be very fun to watch. So it'll be very interesting to see, <clears throat> pardon me, how the, uh, how the characters develop beyond where they are now. Cause, their interaction in the trailer, how it's basically like they're in couples counseling. Oh, yeah. And they're like, the only reason that we're really <laughs> together is because our friend is no longer here to do it. it our will, mutual friend, but now we have to become friends. Which, it will be very interesting. I feel as though Sam will not want the mantle of Cap at the beginning of the show. As He won't want the mantle of Captain America, even though he was given the shield. So I feel part of the show will be dealing with the weight of the responsibility of becoming the next Captain America. I agree with that. So I, I, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll find out Friday. I'm super excited for Falcon and Winter Soldier. That, that is going to be unbelievable. All right. That was a long talk about Marvel. Is there anything else we got on our agenda today? I think we got to dive into a little bit of Star Wars stuff. A little bit of Star Wars. All right. We're in my neck of the woods now. So, Corey and I, we've been reading the new High Republic material that's been coming out. And now I know amongst the fandom, it's controversial. Yeah, we just lost a lot of listeners. (laughs) (laughs) We lost about 80% of our listener base. Now, I respect that Star Wars is the most controversial fandom on the face of the earth. We all have our opinions. We have prequel fans, we have sequel fans, and then we have OG fans. And in my personal opinion, none of them are wrong about why they're fans. Mm -hmm. As you know, Corey, I'm not a fan of the sequel trilogy due to the way it was written. I felt that so much of the writing was just... Meh. There was nothing fleshed out. It was just 
have a free for all. <laughs> I this is usually the part where I kind of come up to bat for the sequel trilogy, but at the same time in retrospect, I've been looking at a lot of things and realizing that there were some story beats about it that I wish they had handled differently. Absolutely. As the films themselves, they're beautiful to watch. They're beautiful to watch. They're I'll great never productions. Say and I think they had very talented directors, but there was no set direction for the, ser- the series there. They were and missing it, a plan. And it came out after Rise of Skywalker from Daisy Ridley and John Boyega, how there was no plan. And that is very much known in that. But we digress, and we're trying to talk about the High Republic here. Oh, yeah. I feel as though none of those issues exist. Are there questionable things about that we read in, in throughout the, the comics and the books that we've got so far? Absolutely. But everything's very cohesive, very well written and fleshed out. I will say, for me, personally, I did enjoy Light of the Jedi, but I understand the criticism, why that book got so much criticism. It is a world-building book. You don't have characters that you get to fall in love with. It's just setting up the state of the galaxy at that time. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, I would agree with you very much. How it's... Uh, Light of the Jedi is pr- the very starting point of the High Republic, and it does tell a very broad, very wide story. There's a great disaster that happens in the galaxy. It involves hyperspace. Uh, there's uh, a new threat to the galaxy during this time where the Jedi are kind of at their peak. I used to think that Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan, and Qui-Gon on the Trade Federation battleship at the beginning, that was like the peak of the Jedi. No. 200 years or so beforehand, that's when the Jedi are at their, like, they're peacekeepers, they're not a 100%, like... They're not generals. Yeah, they're not forced to fight in some kind of war, and the government at this point is very much working with the people. It's actually a functioning government with a ruler, or with a head, that actually wants to see the galaxy survive. Absolutely. And one of the cool things I've grabbed from the light of the Jedi is how each Jedi views the force. Now there were some people were hating on, Oh, the song of the force. What is that? And I thought it was strange too. I really did. And I'm not a fan of the song. I'm not going to lie, but that's how Avar Chris, the character that's introduced in that moment sees the force is as a song. And then another character that uh, we meet, they view the force as an ocean, an endless ocean that they want to explore the depths of. Another character views it as a, a fire that can go from smoldering to a raging inferno. So that was one thing that I always thought was cool that was never fleshed out that we'd seen so far in the new, in the new canon um, was how the force feels to each Jedi. That's one of my favorite pieces from that book. They definitely get to – and that's honestly probably my favorite part of the whole High Republic as a whole is that my favorite stuff in Star Wars specifically goes to the Jedi and the Force and the Force lore. Absolutely. And this – you get so much of it. The Jedi are at their prime. There's a ton of them. They're not dealing with like the Sith. They're not fighting any wars. They're not half extinct like they are in the original trilogy. It's 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 a time where you get to see them – Doing real Jedi things like going on diplomatic missions and also being forced to make the choices that 
you know, flash forward to the time where the Sith have been implementing their plans and Palpatine is just about to get into office, the the force itself is out of balance. It's uh, leaning Mace, away from the Jedi and from the light side. Mace Windu says that. He says, I think it's time to tell the Senate that our ability to, to feel the force or see through the force has diminished. I may be misquoting that, but that's in a nutshell what he says. And we that's not what's happening at this point in the High Republic. No, and it seems like they're going to build to that point of like, okay, here's where it all started to go wrong for the Jedi. Yes, absolutely. That, that's the nice thing about having – there's a lot of new characters that we've been introduced to, some of them are already getting close to, like, my favorite characters in Star Wars. Absolutely. Um, my favorite character was not introduced in the first book. I will say that. Um, the the first book definitely, like I said, is setting up what's going on. There's the Nihil, who are basically, like, are space Viking are, are Vikings in space. They just pillage, take what they want, leave no survivors. They, there's, there is a hierarchy. We, we learn that. There is, they are able to travel through the galaxy and pop up out of nowhere. Very cool. Very very cool cool concept. And they hint, they give brief explanations why, but not really explaining how they can do it. It's just something they can do. And I feel as though as we progress, we will learn how they can do that. But they show up and there's not just like one Star Destroyer. It's like a Star Destroyer plus a bunch of small, smaller ships and that they fight with no Nothing, just pure ferocity. They don't have any give in them. Oh yeah, they fight dirty. They'll use any trick that it takes to win, even if it, in the end, costs them their life, because they'd rather fight against order and... And just be chaos incarnate, essentially. Yeah. Which... No, Light of of the Jedi was a very, very good, wide book. The characters that I did get attached to and that I loved, uh, I feel like... I, I, I look forward to seeing if they will have more time to develop in the future. Absolutely. But what was the book you read that I did not read? I read A Test of Courage. That and one's one of the young reader books. How was it? It's not – I don't think I will pick up a copy of it to be honest. Um, it's just – I So I do the audiobooks, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love. I have been doing them for – I want to say last year I read like 21 of the canon novels with that. And the production value is absolutely fantastic. They have music. They have sound effects. You're literally inside the story. Oh, I, I understand that. And, and when I was in the car with you two weeks ago, we, I played a little excerpt, and it was just it sucks you right in. Absolutely. Uh, Test of Courage was great because again, you get a little bit of a story about uh, a couple of younger Jedi and their masters. They end up in an incident that's occurring simultaneously with the great disaster in light of the Jedi. Um, and as that's happening, these guys have to deal with their own little micro incident. And there's a bit of loss, a couple of characters, and this is like an elementary school reader book. Mm-hmm. So they can't touch on like super dark themes, but there is a couple of deaths. A couple of characters are affected and there's a young Jedi Padawan who's very much, um, kind of pushed towards the dark side a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's picking up on a, another character's anger and kind of channeling it. And there's a character in there that they introduced named Vernestra Rowe. She's a Jedi, and she's got spoilers. Her lightsaber can turn into a light whip. Which, by the way, I'm not a fan of. I don't think I will ever be a fan of. Even in the old Legends, I never was a fan of it. It's not something I can get down with. And... 
I feel the same way in the fact that it seems like a very reckless weapon to wield. The way that they explain it makes me feel like there's something more to come with it. She kind of gets like a bit of a force vision that guides her to make it. And so I feel like there's definitely something more to come with that. And and in the making of it, there's references to the ancient Sith Empire and the Mandalorians and how, you know, just because this is set in the past, it's not overwriting the Old Republic. Oh, it's not that, replacing those stories. That is a big thing. Even in Light of the Jedi, they talk about that. There's a, a brief – it's a brief line or two in the book where it says something along the lines of the Sith were defeated a thousand years ago, which – coincides with the old legends material that we know about. Uh, they were defeated at Rusan about a thousand years ago. So at this stage, Darth Bane is instilled as rule of two and the Sith are still in hiding. So Jedi assume they're defeated. And it also mentions about how the Mandalorians haven't raised any trouble in the last de- couple decades. So they're not re, they're not destroying the, those stories because I, I believe me, I'd be pissed. Like I said, Knights of the Old Republic, Revan, Mitra Surik, those characters are for me the, the ones that truly, truly, truly pulled me in. So I'd be ripped if they just decided to do away with all that. But they won't because Revan's technically canon. Thank you, Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary, <laughs> but I digress. So that's the nice thing about them. Um, yeah, Test of Courage was good. If you have the time, it was maybe like a four-hour audiobook. Not too bad to read. Uh, it was read by, I think, January Lavoie. Uh, not bad. It was a good story about how, even as a Jedi, every day is the battle to be a good person and to be a Jedi. It's not making one mistake doesn't automatically make you a bad person or turn you to the dark side. Four or five moments. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yep, just like Colossus and Deadpool. Four or five moments. That's all I could think about exactly. when you were saying that. Yep. Well, but let's let's talk about Into the Dark, which by far of the books that have been released for the High Republic, the best one in my opinion. Yep, I would agree with that. We're introduced to a – I don't want to say young Padawan. I'll say older. He's about 16 – he's about 17 years old, Reith Silas. Am I saying that correctly? Yep. So right off the bat, I'm going to say this. What were those kids, those, uh, young reader novels of Obi-Wan's apprenticeship? Oh, the, uh, Jedi Quest or, or something? Jedi Apprentice or something the like that? The old novels with him and I Qui-Gon? Feel, yeah, I feel bad for not knowing that because I read the hell out of those as a kid. Oh, yeah, same. I, I remember just grabbing everyone from my school's library as a kid, so I feel bad not remembering the series name. But Reese Silas, he feels like a lot like Obi-Wan in, at that age in the sense of he is not considered the most gifted Padawan, but he works harder than everybody else. And that's highlighted in the, in the prologue to the book in the first five pages, it's highlighted by his master that he is, that he is one of the best that she's seen because he works harder than everybody else because he, it it has to put his all into everything. He's not Anakin Skywalker, for example, who is so, so powerful in the force. Naturally gifted with the force. yeah, like Obi-Wan was never like the greatest force user. He only got the way that he was through, through rigorous training and Qui-Gon but, instilled that in him. But where Reith Silas gets more interesting to me is he does not crave adventure in the slightest. Not at all. He wants to be a Jedi archivist. He wants to be at on Coruscant 
basically being Jocasta new. He wants to chill in the library all day. <laughs> but he is – and he's scared that he, – he's not scared. He's anxious that he has to go out on this adventure to the Outer Rim to the Starlight Beacon in the book because his master it has just been put in charge of the Jedi Enclave on, on Starlight Beacon. That is – the first part of the book deals with his trepidations about doing that, about going out there. But as the book progresses, though, I mean, he doesn't strive for adventure, but goddamn, he goes on a hell of an adventure. It keeps finding him. It keeps finding him is exactly the best way to say it. This book is also running concurrently with Light of the Jedi and the Great Disaster. Yes, it feels like this first wave of stories all kind of happens around the exact same time. essentially, the Great Disaster happens, and Wreath and several other Jedi, as well as other ships in the area, all get booted out of hyperspace, essentially, near this old, decrepit space station from a long-lost empire. Um, The other Jedi that he's with, who were all traveling to Starlight Beacon for different reasons, the the two masters among the uh, group get this dark side vision about the space station, and they don't know why. They don't know why. Komak and... Why can't I remember her name? Uh, Alara? Uh, no, something like that. I have the book right here. Why don't I look? Uh, no, it'll take too much time. Forget yeah. it. We'll do that. We'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll correct it another time. But they get this vision of imminent danger through the Force, and the whole time you're just wondering what's going on. But being they're trapped on the space station for what about a month? We figure, um, a couple weeks, a within, month. Yeah, the span of a couple weeks for sure. They and all hell kind of breaks loose because they're on the space station at first because of all the other ships that they helped get to the station, there's natural enemies on it. There's races and people that are already natural enemies. There's there's a scene in that book that makes me think of the Avatar episode where they have to take the Ganjins and the... uh, Oh, yeah. It's very much from... It felt like Avatar The Last Airbender with the... Two warring families of decades that are like, ah, you know, how dare you side with them? Yeah. And well, Reef is just trying to maintain the peace. I, yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah. And so they go through this adventure on the space station and they feel as though these statues are the cause of this dark side or vision. They feel like this is the threat. So once hyperspace opened back up, the, everyone starts leaving and the Jedi uh, do this ritual to pacify what they believe is to be the statue, to be the darkness. And so – and then they head back to Coruscant. So they get back to Coruscant and they get and they debrief the council on everything. And Reef finds out his master, who is going to be in charge of Starlight Beacon, was killed in an attack with the Nihil. Which is very cool and ties back into one of the previous novels, uh, where we actually see that event happen. Yeah. And the ram- uh, ramifications with not only that master, but another character that comes into the comics, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, yeah. It's very, very, very cool how they all interconnect, which is what I hated about the sequel trilogy. Mm. There was no story. Uh, say what you will about what goes on at Lucasfilm. These stories are very well written, and I will stand by that. Um, so they have to then, by dumb, sheer dumb coincidence, they all have to go – all the characters that you meet end up having to go back to that space station for one reason or another. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details, but 
they have to go back and they fight the new one of the new villains as well as the Nihil called the Drenger, which are these massive sentient plants that just feast on humanoids and they feast meat, on hum- basically yeah, meat. <laughs> that, that they feast on meat. They're basically giant Venus flytraps that are very aggressive. And I love <laughs> that they're even described in the book as like a giant Venus flytrap, basically. Yeah. So that's like an insect flytrap. Yeah, that's exactly what they look like. And yeah, they have to deal with this threat. One of the cool things about this book that I kind of spoiled for Corey, but I had to was we've all heard the stories about how the Jedi temples built over an old Sith, uh, old dark side nexus that the, that the Sith used millennia ago. A dark side nexus. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we actually go into that in this novel. It's a very brief couple pages, maybe five to 10 pages, but it is really cool to just at least know that we're going into the Sith, temp- this dark side nexus that we've heard about for so many, for so many years. And I have to give kudos to Claudia Gray for writing – for being the author to write this book because she has written, in my opinion, the best canon novels. I would stand right behind you on that. Yep. Um, my Corey just bought me a copy of Lost Stars, which I powered through in two days. I would recommend highly – if anyone listening to this podcast is a fan of Star Wars – and likes the uh likes the canon check out lost stars by claudia gray it's not like a big world shattering star war lore book it's just a v- amazing story it's a fantastic story and the way claudia gray writes in star wars she understands it oh absolutely and that goes back to master and apprentice too which was a book revolving around obi-wan and qui-gon and how their apprenticeship almost fell apart another must have it is by far one of the best books in canon right now. And her story writing is just unparalleled, in my opinion, for Star Wars. She, of the books that have come out in canon, is hands down the best writer. Now, I will say there is a little bit of hate going around online for one of the characters that she wrote into the book. It's His name's Geode. He's literally a sentient rock. We know nothing about him. The fan art, yes, it was absolutely ridiculous. But I do think that Claudia Gray took that challenge and went, I think I can write a rock as a better character than I can write Ray. And and honestly, anyone who's going to bash it because it's too weird, it's a rock in Star Wars, I'm sorry, but Star Wars has always been weird. It's like, been very, very strange. From the very beginning, they're we always had a doing strange giant stuff. dog cat thing that just went. <laughs> There's that. How about the garbage eel in the Death Star? Oh, yeah. You've got the little green puppet dude in Empire. Salacious crumb. Let's just leave it at that. From Return of the Jedi. Oh God. Star Wars is at its best when it's weird and new. Because if they just kept telling the same stories over and over again, guess what? I'd stop buying. I will have to say that when the stories are also well thought out, Mm. when we get stuff that's just gobbled together for the sake of putting out Star Wars content, it's atrocious. I mean, let's look at Resistance, the Resistance TV show. I couldn't get into it. I watched the first 10 minutes of an episode and I said, I can't do this. And sure, was I judging it by its cover? Absolutely. But it just felt so 
bleh to me. You can definitely tell it's geared more towards children. And I mean, Rebels was geared towards children. Children, but it was very well thought out exactly. and the story was amazing. I don't know if Filoni ever, uh, worked on Resistance. I don't know if he, I don't believe he did. I, because everything but, he touches is pure gold. Thank you, John Favreau and Dave Filoni for The Mandalorian. Mm. The, the best Star Wars on that. screen we've gotten in over a decade. And again, I, that's me as a Revenge of the Sith fan. By the way, I need to clear this up. Revenge of the Sith is my all-time favorite movie from the Star Wars series, followed by Return of the Jedi, and then Empire Strikes Back. The, the rest all kind of fall in very much a jumble in, in a pile of their own because I think they have their moments where they're amazing, and I absolutely respect that episode four um, set up this universe, but it just wasn't they aren't on the same level for me. They just are not on the same level. I agree. My top two pretty much stay the same, and then the rest of my favorites list varies depending on what day you ask me. So Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith, and boy, I'm going to catch some flack on this, but I really like Force Awakens. I like Force Awakens. It's an entertaining film to watch. Okay, okay, okay. Of the sequels... Force Awakens is 110% the best. Yes, it's a rehash of A New Hope. Hmm. It is, but it, it is, had to be. A new, it is uh, the only Menace one that rehash. felt like a Star Wars movie. The others did not feel like a Star Wars movie other than the fact that they're spaceships and lightsabers and the Force. It, it did not feel like a Star Wars story. I like what Force Awakens set up. It was... It was the follow through that left me feeling a little bit as if somebody didn't a hundred percent know where they were going with the story, mm-hmm. and that hurts. And I'm, I don't want to sit here and sound like a whiny brat, like you ruined my Star Wars. No, I'll take any Star Wars is good Star Wars. I remember being in you know middle and high school and liking Star Wars did not make you the popular guy. Oh, absolutely not. And now, you know, Disney rolls around and they're like, hey, that thing that you loved as a kid that people alienated you for, here, have a ton of it. And now you're going to be at work and random people will come up to you and start talking to you about Mando. Yeah. I I mean, Mandalorian though, you got to bring it, I'm bringing it back to that because it was just everything we wanted to see. And it's what we wanted the sequel trilogy to feel like. Mm -hmm. It very much is. Now, I know that it revolves around Din Djarin and his journey as a Mandalorian, which is cool. We're getting the Book of Boba because of it. So we finally get the Boba Fett content that we've all been vying for. Um, and it's not supposed to revolve around the Force. I like that. We got Bo-Katan in it. We got Ahsoka Tano. And we got them in ways that were organic to the story of Din Djarin. Yeah, and his journey with Grogu. And and it made sense. Whereas in the sequels, it feels like the characters, like the big characters that we love, I won't name names like Luke Skywalker, but the characters that we love that we wanted to see very badly were put in as support characters for the other guys that Which, we had to follow. I, I will say this. I would have been okay if with if they wrote it better. If they wrote it better where if we got Luke's Academy or something like that, where he was kind of the Yoda character, I would have been okay with that. But we didn't. And here we are. We can't change it. It's what we have. But we did get to see the Luke Skywalker we wanted 
at the end of Mandalorian. Well, you and I both know we can go on a riff for days about how we would rewrite the sequels. And if you want to know what we would do... We can do that in a future episode. Yeah, feel free to leave a comment letting us know what you would want to see in our uh, remade sequels we have we have we have a plan for this we do we've talked about it big time so if you if you wanted to guys let us know and we'll eventually do our our rewrite of the sequels we are we both agreed we wouldn't change force awakens but we'll take it from there and and that's another thing i've been hearing people talking about how they want to get rid of the sequels and replace them with a feloni verse okay i understand why you would want that but Disney's not going to go back. No, on they made films. too much money on it. They're, They're it, not going to erase them. They, if, made, they made way too much money on it. No. If nothing else, they're going to use all of the comics and all of the shows and all of the books, and they're going to add more content to the movies. Like in the current comics, you're caught up on the Darth Vader stuff, right? Yeah, which is great. I, it's not as good as the uh, <clears throat> run that Charles Soule did where it was Vader right after – Revenge of the Sith. I love that one. That's my favorite to date. But it is very well done. It shows Vader and what happened after Empire Strikes Back. And there is one issue where Sidious just loses it on Vader and just completely destroys him. So if you guys, like, physically, like, borderline kills him. So definitely check that out. Um... The High Republic comics started out slow, but if you guys are into comics, you can go on Marvel Unlimited there and and uh, read them there. And they started out slow. The third issue just dropped, and you from but it's starting to pick up. High Republic Adventures starts out good. Uh, we're going to go into the third issue of that now, but there's definitely content to read. Um, Start with for the High Republic. I would definitely start with Light of the Jedi, and move through those books, and as well as the comics, because everything's kind of happening concurrently, for the most part. The comics are are right after what's happening in those novels, essentially. So I would say, yeah, Light of the Dark, Light of the Jedi, uh, Light of the Jedi, Into the Dark, A Test of Courage. You can read if you want a little bit of background, like. Vernestra Rowe and some of those characters will show up in other materials. Vernestra's already shown up in one of the comics taking place after the book. Uh, and that's another thing. Like, characters will show up in a book and then pop up in the comics the oh, next yeah. issue. Oh, There's yeah. a character from the first book, Into the Dark, uh, sorry, Light of the Jedi, that uh, is playing a pretty prominent role in the comics. Yes. Skier, Skier. Trandoshan Jedi. Yeah, Trandoshan Jedi. Um, loses his arm in the, fir- in the book, and uh, you see him running around with one arm in the comics and it fo- the comics kind of follow him and his Padawan and what they're dealing with after the events of light of the Jedi. So definitely check that out. Um, then we're going to have, like I said earlier, we're going to have this week, we get Falcon winter soldier first episode dropping. So guys got to check that out from there. We're weekly. We're going to have episodes. How many episodes did they say eight or nine? Uh, I'm not quite sure on that one. Well, at, and then from there, we're going to have the Loki series. Or it was Bad Batch first. Um, I think Bad Batch we're going to get after Captain America. I'm uh, hoping Falcon, we get, Winter Soldier. Sorry. I, uh, sorry, what did I say? Captain America. Uh, basically. Falcon's the new Captain America. I'm, I'm very curious to see how that show turns mm-hmm. out, honestly. 
Bad Batch, I'm very excited for Bad Batch. I was kind of hesitant, but but anything Clone Wars. Well, for example, my younger brother, I just got him into Star Wars. Thank you, Mandalorian. (laughs) By showing him that first, we watched the first two – we watched Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. He went through Clone Wars, and him and I are going to sit down and watch – the last four episodes of Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith together, but he loved the Bad Batch and he's looking forward to it. He's looking forward to them moving forward. Um, and then we get Loki and down the road, we're going to get all, the, all those awesome Disney plus shows. So guys, you got to stay tuned. We're going to, we're going to be covering these things in future episodes. Um, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to the Dorkside Nexus. If you want to know more about us, make sure to check us out on dorksidenexus at gmail.com. If you want to email us and give us some information that you just want to talk about. If you guys want to talk about nerdy stuff, we're here for it. Welcome to the Dorkside. And if you want to check us out on Instagram, it's also Dorkside Nexus as well. D-O-R-K-S-I-D-E-N-E-X-U-S. This has been Corey. And Tanner. Have a great day, guys. Thank you for listening, and make sure to check in next time.